Philippians uh, this month, and uh, I have been I have been enjoying it. We're going to get to the entirety of chapter three quickly this evening. Read through it together and uh, cover some of the areas that I believe the Lord would have us to focus on here this evening. Philippians chapter three and verse number one. We'll just read that first verse. The Bible says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please help us this evening to open our hearts and minds to the power of your Holy Spirit and to your Word. I pray that you would please use me in my human weakness. And in spite of me, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be capable of working. Uh, Lord, I remove myself from this equation, and I ask that please uh, you would pour out your Spirit upon this place and help us. Uh, to listen uh, to the words that you have for us. We pray these things as we ask it in Jesus' name, and amen. You can be seated. I do want us to take note of what is being said here in the first verse of chapter 3 so that we understand why it's being said. He says, finally, my brethren. Now that word finally essentially is a conclusion of the previous statements. It's not quite... Uh, the same as wherefore or therefore, but it's a similar kind of an idea where because of what has been said now, I want to draw this conclusion. Now let's go back to the, the verse right before this in chapter 2, verse number 30. And remember again, I know I keep reminding you of this, but these things um, were not in chapter and verse divisions. This letter would have originally been written and read all in its entirety all at once. And so sometimes the chapter and verse divisions make sense. Uh, they, they have kind of clear cutoffs where subjects end and begin, but then sometimes they're just a continuation of uh, the previous statements, and it's just a good way to, to uh, divide the verses and make them easier to find and, and a frame of reference for us. When we get into chapter 3, it's kind of a continuation of the last statement in chapter 2, where the Bible says in verse number 30, "...because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life." To, su to supply your lack of service toward me. So why is the church of Philippi having a hard time supplying for Paul, who they were able to support as a pastor or a preacher who had helped start that ministry, according to Acts chapter 16 and in other places, we get the account of how all that started. Remember the Philippian jailer? Remember that? Remember some of the things that happened around the city of Philippi? So God was moving through Paul's ministry and used him in the area of Philippi and in those regions. And a church is raised up as a result of the evangelistic work of Paul in that region. Now, remember, these churches in these days are dealing with great persecution. They're dealing with things that we can't really even fathom. They're dealing with often being, uh, being, being in a situation where their lives are in jeopardy because they're simply Christians and trying to propagate and spread the gospel. And so often things are hard for Christians in those days. And in and, and, and this church, we don't necessarily hear a ton of detail about the hardships that take place there. But remember when Paul was there that he was cast into prison because they were afraid, some of the, the, the people in that area were afraid that this gospel that was being preached in that region would take over and would damage their false religion and their false worship and their businesses and so on and so forth. So if they were doing that to Paul, the odds that they would do that to, uh, to other Christians are pretty strong. And so Paul is in prison when he writes this book, right? And he tells them in chapter 1 of some of his imprisonment 
situations. And then as we get into chapter 2, he says because, speaking of Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus came to minister unto Paul. To me it seems like Epaphroditus may have been a member of the church of Philippi and was sent to care for Paul because even though the church lacked uh, monetary opportunity or, or lacked the money, I should say, uh, to support him right now, they sent, it seems, Epaphroditus to be a blessing to him and try to help him. And so, uh, Epaphroditus gets sick, even unto the loss of his life, even unto death. He gets sick to that extent. And when he gets well enough, he goes back to Philippi, who he longed for, the church of Philippi. He loved them dearly. He longed to see them. And so he sent Epaphroditus back to them. But then we have all that concluded in verse number 30 of chapter 2, where the Bible says, because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life. So Epaphroditus is serving Paul so greatly and, and is putting him his own life in jeopardy uh, to do this. And so he is there to supply your lack of service toward me. So Paul is literally saying, I'm thankful that Epaphroditus was here to take care of me because you all are not currently capable of doing so. There are times when churches will have ebbs and flows and are not entirely capable of, uh, of doing some things financially. In the case of the church of Philippi, this was the, this was the situation here. I thank God that, that Calvary Baptist Church is in a situation where we are able to support missionaries financially. But it's also important to notice. Now, uh, there is great, great debate about what kind of missions giving should be taught and preached from the pulpit. Some say that it should only be giving by faith, and they call it faith promise giving. And, and I am not against that. I agree that we ought to be giving by faith and that we should trust by faith uh, when we give. But at the same time, what it has also come to mean is that you should make a commitment above that which ye are able to do and make a commitment. Let's say you don't have $100 a month to even pay your own bills, but some preachers will get up and preach that you ought to commit $100 to missions whether you've got it or not, and God will supply. Now, I believe some people do that, and God accomplishes it. But I also see that there are places in the Scriptures where it is referred to the fact that, that God's people were not always able to give, and that's okay. Now, I know that flies in the face of the whole faith promise idea. I know it does. But they sent Epaphroditus when they were not personally able to give. If you're not able to give, you're not able to give. It is what it is. Everybody okay? No, you're not. I know. I know. I know because this is, this is we'll just promise $100 a month and God will give it to you. And I believe that is accomplished for some people. I believe that is the case. But I don't think it's necessarily accurate to paint everybody in a corner and say, now then. You're supposed to give $100 whether you've got it or not, and God will supply it, and that's biblical. I don't know. I, don't, I can't personally say that from my study and understanding of God's Word, whether or not that I should be cornering people and saying that's biblical, that you ought to just trust God to give you $1,000 a month to support churches whether you've got it or not. <laughs> okay, we've got that all done. Paul doesn't throw them under the bus. He says because... Uh, for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. There came a time when they weren't able to do it. But they still sent in whatever way they could. Right? That's what I see. Now, 
Let's look at chapter 3. Now in chapter 3, as we read through this, you're going to see that Paul is now pastoring them again. From a distance, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is pastoring them about some of their Christian behavior. And he's greatly concerned. We see it in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. He's greatly concerned about the spiritual health of the ministry. Remember in chapter 1, he clarifies that he is greatly burdened that the church be able to continue to strive together for the furtherance of the gospel, for the faith of the gospel. He's, he's, he's concerned that the church would stay in unity so that they can continue to have a furtherance of the gospel in their own church and abroad, so that they can continue to support him and others that are out doing the work abroad. The health of your local ministry is very important when it comes to missions. And I've heard preachers say this before, and I I subscribe to this idea entirely. If mom isn't healthy, speaking of the local church, if the local church isn't healthy, if mom isn't healthy, then the children won't be healthy. And sometimes what happens is we get a little off balance when it comes to some of these ideas. I believe there are some Christians that out of of genuineness in their heart... um, would rather send to missions than to support their local ministry. But the reality is, if everybody does that and the local ministry can no longer support itself, you don't have a church to send money out of. You don't have a church to send Epaphroditus from. So I believe when you look at these things biblically, that you see that the tithe was instituted first, and the reason, when you go through the Old Testament and see the reason for the tithe, first of all, it was a way to worship the Lord. Second, it was a way to dedicate yourself unto the Lord. Uh, Third, the tithe was used to support the local temple. It was used uh, to supply for the needs of the temple. It was used to supply for the workers of the tabernacle. The tithe was instituted first, and and then the Lord also speaks of an offering. Remember we saw in the book of Malachi how that he said, You have robbed me both in tithes and offerings. I personally believe the tithe is the health of the local ministry and an offering. If God lays that on your heart, the missions giving is also a part of, or should also be a part of every Christian's giving, and that we should be giving to missions as an offering over and above our tithe. But I don't believe it's good if you're sending your tithe to missions. I believe that belongs to the local church. So we give our tithe first and then our missions. Now, we see in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, so because of these things, because you're in a time where you are not able to supply for me. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Okay? Now we need to understand this. This is a conclusion of the previous statements about the situation that Paul's in, about the great persecution that he's under. He's in prison for the sake of the gospel of Christ. He's saying, I wish that you would continue to be able to strive together for the furtherance of the gospel of the faith. He, he, he talks to the church about the hardships that they that he is experiencing and the things that they are experiencing. And he says, finally, my brethren, with all these things in mind, and because you're going through such a hardship right now personally that you're not even able to supply for me, I want you to think about this. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord is a choice, not a feeling. It is a choice. It is a choice. We can choose to accept hardships and rejoice in the Lord. 
or we can refuse to accept them and complain about life. Life happens. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. See, that's an important statement. Now, I know in everything we're supposed to give thanks, but giving thanks and rejoicing are two very different things. When you may not be able to rejoice in your finances, you can rejoice in the Lord. When you may not be able to rejoice in your health, you can rejoice in the Lord. There may be things going on in life that you can't find any reason to rejoice in, but there is always, always a reason to rejoice in the Lord. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. What is he talking about here? He's saying, I'm going to repeat some things now. You ever get tired of hearing the preacher repeat some things? But he says, I'm going to repeat some things now. Because it's important. Uh, I don't have time for this. I've got to hurry. But uh, a preacher was voted in as the pastor of a church, and he stood up the first Sunday and he preached a message, and the people amened and came to the altar and came the next service and he preached the exact same message. And the people amened and they came to the altar and, and they tried to give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, I guess it just needed preached again. and came back the next service and he preached the same message and this time they're not amening as much and they're starting to wonder what's going on and somebody eventually raised their hand and said, uh, Preacher, didn't you just preach that message? He said, I did just preach that message. He said, but I'm going to keep preaching it until we are all living it. I've never done that, but some things bear repeating. And Paul says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And then he's going to write some things to them. And he says, to write the same things to you. Now, we don't have another epistle where, where God inspires Paul to write to the church of Philippi. So we assume this must have been something that he addressed to them when he was with them in person. And he says, now I'm going to repeat some things. To write the same things to you to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Sometimes we need to hear the same things over and over again. There's nothing new under the sun. And you have, to be, you have to be really careful, always looking for something new. Because if you find some preacher that's got something new, I'm not saying he's wrong, but there's a good chance of it. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. He calls... False teachers in that day, dogs. We have to understand that the health of the ministry and the people depends on their discernment to sniff out false teachers. And, and God, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calls them dogs. Now, can you just imagine? I keep, I keep trying to bring this to our attention, but this is awful strong terminology to describe false teachers in that day. What if I stood up here and called false teachers dogs today? What, what, what if, what if the, the preachers that are preaching the truth got on Facebook and started pointing out false teachers and calling them dogs? 
the appropriate police, the woke crowd, would be all over it and say things like, that's not nice and you don't have a very Christ-like spirit. Every now and then it takes some strength from the preacher to correct some issues. Brother Grabansky said here just a moment ago, uh, every now and then it is uh, unfortunately better for somebody to leave. You don't want them to leave, but it is better for the health of the ministry but that they be dismissed or that they find their own way out because the preaching and the direction of the ministry makes them uncomfortable. Um, should I use Brother Gomez's uh, terminology, honey? Brother Gomez, the preacher my wife uh, grew up under, said every church every now and then needs a good BM. <laughs> every now and then you got to just get the junk out. And that is true. Every now and then through the, the power of the Holy Spirit, I mean in the preaching of the Word of God, it, it just you just have to clear house. And the Holy Spirit does that if a preacher is preaching the truth. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof that he might trust in the flesh, I more. Obviously what is going on here is that there are some that are proclaiming the, their own goodness their own qualifications, they're trusting in their fleshly qualifications in order uh, for people to listen to them and probably bragging on themselves with their qualifications. And so Paul uses an example. He says, uh, he says, if any other man thinketh that he have whereof that he might trust in the flesh, I more, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, an Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. You see, Paul had attained a position within the Jewish ranks that was very high. And they were trusting to him. And he had all of the marks that the Jewish religion looked for, for authority. He had all their qualifications. And he says, look, if, if they want to brag about their qualifications, I have all the Jewish qualifications. The, the reality is that what is going on in the church during this time is that throughout these epistles you see that God is um, fighting against, through the power of His Holy Spirit, this, this, this uh, False teaching that keeps trying to make its way into the church where they are trying to marry Jewish laws and traditions with the grace of Jesus Christ. And they claim their qualifications. Well, we know the Bible. We've been studying this for a long time. We know what it says. And, and we believe in Christ. But here's some things you also need to do. And so Paul says, look... They're trying to claim by their authority or, or trying to claim authority by their qualifications that they should be listened to. If anybody ought to be listened to by fleshly standards, I've got the same qualifications, if not even more. So in other words, he's fighting for the church's attention. And don't you miss the fact that every now and then it will be necessary as a church to make sure you keep 
your attention on your local church and the leadership of your local ministry and not get enamored with so-called qualified people outside of the church. Because there are people out there that will try to lead the church astray, and this is one of the oldest tricks in the book that Satan uses to divide churches and make them ineffective for the cause of Christ. I'm not saying, and Paul was not saying, that I am perfect and blameless, but rather that when God and His Word is the forefront of the ministry, listen to that, not the qualifications of some fleshly guy outside of your church. And he says, what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. You see that in verse number 7? He says, my qualifications are nothing. I threw them all out so that I could have Christ. In other words, he said, I, I, I stopped the whole Jewish religion and the whole idea of trying to be somebody in those ranks because I realized it was all false and I gave it all up for Jesus Christ. Amen. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. In case you were a little concerned about me using the BM statement a minute ago, there it is in your Bible. And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith can't have righteousness through the law. It's only of God by faith. That I may know Him. And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. Now listen, not that any of our sufferings can compare to the sufferings of Jesus Christ. But when you suffer for His name's sake, it does put you in a special fellowship and closeness with the Savior. Amen. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. I mean, here's my understanding of what he's saying here. He says, I'm being made conformable unto his death. That means dying to sin. But it also means by the suffering that he is experiencing. That he is being conformed more into the image of Jesus Christ by the death that is the death of our flesh and the faith that we live by putting our faith and trust in God's Word and in His direction for our lives. Paul says, in another place, I die daily. What is that? That's the death of the flesh. Being made conformable unto His death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. I believe he's talking about spiritual and literal. I believe both applications are, 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 can be used here. The resurrection of the dead concerning that which Jesus makes alive again. When we get saved, we were dead in our trespasses and sins and He raises us up into a new life making a new man. But He says also concerning the resurrection of the dead which is to come. 
And I think he may be talking about the fact that even if I die, being made conformable unto his, his death, then I trust that he will raise me from the dead. And then verse number 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He says, look, I am working to die to my flesh just like you are so that every day I may become more holy and more conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Verse number 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He says, look, I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect yet. None of us are. This is, this is one of the verses that we, that we believe clearly teaches progressive sanctification, if you want to call it that. Where little by little we're making progress in the growth of the Christian life where God is making us more and more like Him little by little. It doesn't happen all at once. And the truth is that as long as we live in this flesh, none of us will ever attain unto that. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, if there is to be any progress in the Christian life toward the goals that God has given us as Christians, there must also be a forgetting of those things that are in our past. If you're going to make any progress in holiness, in righteousness, in right living, there has to be a forgetful mind. You have to be able to forget the good and the bad in your past. Because your mistakes will drag you down and make you unfruitful, and your successes will make you apathetic and make you not want to grow anymore. You have to be able to forget the good and the bad. You can't live off of the past and say, well, I'm a total abject failure and God could never use me again. That is not true, I believe, as long as you're breathing and as long as the Holy Spirit is able to speak to your conscience, if it has not been seared to the point that it is too hardened for you to hear from the Holy Spirit, I believe that you are still usable by God. And so you forget those things which are behind and you let God give you a mark to press towards in the future. A godly goal for your life. God can do so much more with our lives than we can ever imagine if we would allow God to give us a new goal, a renewed mind, a renewed vision, and say, okay, God, I might have a past, but what do you have for me in the future? And God can do so much more with His people than sometimes we will even allow Him to. If we would just forget that which is behind and look forward to those things which are ahead and press towards the mark. You may not even have a similar mark now than what you could have had 10 or 15 years ago if you hadn't made those mistakes, but there is still a mark to press towards. In other words, there may not be some of the same qualifications in your life. You may not be able to be a pastor. You may not be able to be a deacon. But there's a whole lot of other things that you could still qualify for in the work of God. So forget those things which are behind and press forward for the things which are before. There's, there is a mark, there is a goal that God has for His people down the road for every one of you if you would only allow Him to give you a renewed vision of what else He can do in your life. If there is to be any progress in the Christian life towards the goals that God has given us, there must also be a forgetting of those things in our past. The good and the bad. And I have seen good Christians crippled by their successes as much as they can be crippled by their failures. 
I've seen good Christians stop making progress in the Lord because they became content with how far they had come. Living as if they have already attained. Look, been there, done that. I've already given the missions. God's already answered some of my prayers. I already led a few people to Christ. I mean, you know, a year ago, five years ago, can I just tell you what God did in my life? And when then when you find out how long it was, ten years ago. And they're not really faithful to church anymore. And they're not really giving anymore. And they're not really trying to witness anymore. They're living off of the successes of the past. It's wonderful that God used you ten years ago, brother. But what in the world are you pressing towards now? You see, go find in, is it John chapter 15, where the Bible says that He is the vine and we are the branches, and, and, that, and that those that bring forth fruit, He purges that they may bring forth more fruit. In other words, when you've had growth, God will cut off your growth so that you can grow some more. In other words, He won't allow you to sit and live on your former growth. That is not of God. And, and listen, no matter what stage of life you're in, there is always a mark to be pressing towards. Look at verse number 15. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything, ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. What? In other words, I believe he's saying you should always be pressing. Those of you that are perfect, or those of us that are perfect, in other words, those of us that have been made perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ, you've been saved and have even made some progress in the Lord, it would be good if you would also be thus minded. In other words, continue to press towards the mark. That's what I see. Go read it for yourself and study it for yourself. If you don't see that, then I would love to see and hear what your opinion is on those matters. But come loaded with Bible. Because I've thought and meditated on this. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if any, in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. God will not let you sit and sour because of something you've done in the past. Just because you think you've achieved a certain amount of perfection, He's not going to let you sit there and sour. He'll reveal unto you what you should be pressing towards now. question is, will we listen? Verse number 16, Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us uh, for an ensample. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Make no mistake that those who try to lead you astray from the things that you have been taught are these people whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and who glory in their shame, who mind earthly things. This world is filling up with so-called Christians who glory in things that they ought to be ashamed of. Ought to be ashamed of it. And they flaunt it everywhere and act like, look at me and my Christian liberty. They glory in things they ought to be ashamed of. But they've lost some of their God consciousness because they have seared their conscience with a hot iron. Not allowing the Holy Spirit of God to softly speak to them anymore whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, 
who mind earthly things. These people are often more interested in things of the world than in the things of God. Beware of people who have more of a worldly mind than they do a spiritual mind, of people who are constantly thinking of what next they can do to pleasure themselves or to please themselves or what else they can find in the world to enjoy while at the same time they find themselves unfaithful from church, unfaithful from His principles. They're no longer living the standards they used to. But they say they're spiritual. And that they have just found a new level of spiritual enlightenment. When the reality is, their glory is in their shame. They glory in things they ought to be ashamed of. I'm trying not to get too preachy here, y'all, but I tell you, it grieves my heart as a preacher to see modern day Christians glorying in things that I cannot even imagine what they're thinking. I don't even understand it. And then other Christians, because, all right, for multiple reasons, turn a blind eye to it and say, well, bless their heart. They mean the best. And maybe in some ways they do, but the reality is they know what they're doing. And they will find every way that they can to, to justify their glorying in things they ought to be ashamed of. And then some Christians who should have a spiritual mind to be able to see through those things, don't. God's Word has not changed just because somebody else changed their standards. For our conversation is in heaven. What does that mean, our conversation is in heaven? It's talking about your lifestyle. That word conversation is often used in the Word of God to describe your lifestyle. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He puts our focus, the Holy Spirit does, on the one who is coming, not on the earthly things that others are focused on. Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body. Why, why is it our vile body? Because it's full of sin. But it, it shall be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. If we will submit and surrender our lives to God, He is able to subdue our flesh and help us control it so that we can look on heavenly things, not earthly things. But if we look to um, make our God our belly, just serve ourselves and our own likes, then it is nearly impossible to find our way out of the world's temptations. But when you submit to God and say, Lord, what you want is what I want, He can free us from the earthly temptations and wickedness that we struggle with. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us as a church to remain healthy spiritually so that we can remain healthy to support missions and our missionaries, to support our local outreach. Lord, I pray that through Philippians chapter 3 that you would do a great work.